Friends, would you open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. So, just when I, I thought I have been through some of the more difficult sections of Galatians, I come to this section. Um, some people say that it is one of the more difficult passages, not only in Galatians, but uh, in the New Testament. And of course, this is happening after uh, a weekend of three messages at a men's retreat. So I'm supposed to be sharp. I'm supposed to be ready for one of the more difficult passages. Uh, it's, it's difficult. It's a past difficult passage because it's kind of one of these sordid kind of passages that it's kind of like, ooh, ah, there's some interesting things going on here. It's, uh, it's difficult because Paul's interpretation raises all kinds of interpretive issues that we might have to kind of flush through. It, it seems sometimes what makes it difficult is it seems harsh. There's like some black and white issues here, and some of us don't like black and white. We like a lot of gray, kind of mushy middle kind of stuff. But Paul is kind of saying, nope, there, there's some black things, there's some white things, there's some very clear kind of yes and no stuff. It's also kind of a foreign story to us, and it really feel, feels far removed from the way that we think and we uh, live even as a cultural culture. So as a result, it is going to be a challenge for some of our minds. Um, so I want you, as, as we read God's word, which has the transforming power of God speaking himself, because this is actually God speaking himself, I want you to be listening carefully to what God has to say to you and to me this morning. Listen carefully to God speaking this morning through his word. Would you stand for the reading? We are going to be starting at verse 21 and reading through 5, verse 1. Tell me, you who desired to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through a promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. 
Are you confused already? Good. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit what the son with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So even reading it again, and I don't know how many times I've read, read over this text in preparation for it. There's times where I go, okay, Paul, what are you trying to say? What, what are you getting at? Because I am really kind of confused. You're, you're throwing around all these terms. You kind of say, is this, is this an allegorical kind of reading? How, how, how are we to read this? How are we to understand history of, uh, of our forefathers? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Okay, so how, how do we understand all of this kind of stuff? So it's easy in this process to really miss the point of this passage because we get all caught up in the details. And so we'll, we'll alter, we can easily miss the point if we don't read with really spiritual eyes. So here's what I want to do. I want to tell you a story. And then I want to tell you why this story actually matters to us. And then I want to tell you how this story prepares us even for <coughs> communion that we will be receiving after the message. So let me tell you this story. I need to kind of warn you though, this story is, uh, may have some ratings in it, you know, for sensitive listeners, because that's kind of how the Bible works. It doesn't tell us all kinds of purdied up stories where it, it avoids conflict, it avoids sexuality. There, there's some things going on here. There are worse stories, but this one definitely rates up there with like, ooh, he did what? With whom? So it all starts back in Genesis chapter 12, where God makes a promise. And he made a promise to this man named Abram. Listen to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So far, so good. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will dishonor those or curse those who curse you. And in you... All the families of the earth will be blessed. Man, so this sounds like really great news. So when God made this problem pro promise to Abram, Abram was 75 years old. And his wife, Sarai, 
was at that time 10 years younger. So she was around 65. The reality is you don't start a family at the age of 65 and 75. But God made a promise here. This wasn't in the days of medication. But God made a promise. He made a promise. And the thing is that God repeated this promise again later. In Genesis 15, Abraham was starting to doubt this promise. He said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless. And then God answers him and says, your very own son will be your heir. But the clock kept on ticking. And time went by. Ten years later, still childless. Picture that if I waited, if I was childless, and I, was, I, I had all these promises, Picture waiting another 40 years and that you talked to me one day and you asked me if I, if I had children. I said, no, but any day now, any day now, I, God's going to give me a child. And my wife and I are going to be starting a family any day now. It's hard not to see that Abraham was beginning to wonder how God's promise was going to be fill, fulfilled when his and her biological clock, they weren't even ticking anymore. The tick had come to an end. There was no discernible progress whatsoever, even as that decade had gone by. They say that God helps those who help themselves. You hear that, that phrase, and it is a terrible phrase. It's found nowhere in Scripture. So if you ever say, well, God said, they say, you know, God helps those who help themselves, you go, baloney. That, that is one of the most ridiculous things. But that's what Abraham did. At the age of 85, that's exactly what he did. In those days, there was, when there, there was evidence that something uh, was not working and you wanted to continue your family line on, what did you do? You started to use a surrogate mother. So Abraham was 85. But in God's eyes, that was not too old to be a father. So Abraham's wife arranged for her servant to bear a child on behalf of her. So basically, Abraham says, listen, I'm going to help God out. And I am going to take matters in my own hands. I'm going to make my own contribution to God's promises. Apparently, God needs a jump start here. He needs a little help out. 
So I'm going to take matters in my own hand. And so the result, honestly, was a disaster. It was a disaster. Abraham married Hagar, the servant of his wife. Hagar bore a son. Sarai, who is later named Sarah, Sarai hated it and treated Hagar very, very harshly. And what did Hagar ultimately do? Hagar ran for her life with her son, Ishmael. Later on, about 15 years later, the story goes on. Sarai Sarai actually had a child. We read in Genesis 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, And the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, him. she named him Isaac. Isaac. So you have these two children with a lot in common. They were both sons of Abraham. They both had the exact same biological father. Both of these boys were circumcised. And they both grew up in the same household. But there were some very large differences. One was a result of human scheming. The other one was a result of God fulfilling promises. One was born of a slave because his mother was a slave. One was born free because his mother was a free woman. So you have this this really weird kind of story of two sons. And it's really, if you really think about it, step back and look at this story. It's really kind of a disturbing story with all kinds of family hurt and all kinds of family dysfunction, right? Imagine if that took place today. We would say, that is messed up. That is messed up. And this is a way of reminding us that the Bible is not full of great stories of great people who earned God's approval because of their greatness. This is just another story of going, man, we are a messed up lot of people, but oh, for the grace of God, right? You've got the story of David and you go, he's king? This guy is messed up. Up, but oh, for the grace of God. Story of Moses killed somebody, got angry, struck a rock, but he still led God's people. Oh, for the grace of God. Peter, the rock, right? We we heard in. this past weekend, the story of Peter. Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And Peter does the, 
You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, and you are right. But let's not tell people yet. And then uh, Jesus started explaining to the people, okay, so this is how it's all going to take place. I'm going to be persecuted, but I'm going to be rejected. And then they are going to kill me. And then I'm going to die and rise again some three days later. And Peter goes, hey, Jesus, no, no, no. Uh-uh, uh-uh. That's not how it's going to work. And Jesus quickly does what? Get behind me, Satan. The Bible is filled with stories that if it wasn't for the grace of God, God's work within us, we'd be going, what is going on? The Bible is a record of broken people who mess up repeatedly and are recipients of God's great grace. So that's the story. That's the story of Abraham. Father Abraham. The man who is talked to and referred to in Hebrews 11, who by faith did this, by faith did this, by faith did this. So we've got to ask the question, what does this story of Father Abraham have to do with us here in 2019? What, does, what is God saying to us through his inspired, inerrant, and good word for us? What does this have to do with us in our life? So you got to remember that Paul is writing to the church in Galatia about what it means to be accepted by God, right? What it means to be loved by God, received by God. And some were teaching that you need Jesus plus your own obedience, plus your contribution for God to accept you into his family. And Paul was arguing that acceptance by God only requires Jesus plus nothing else. So every time that you add something to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, you, Paul is saying, you subtract from it. In fact, you even destroy the gospel by adding to the gospel. So why does Paul bring up this, this ugly story from Abram's life? One of the big issues that Paul was trying to deal with is that some were in the church teaching that you have to keep Old Testament rules and regulations to be ultimately accepted by God. Only by keeping God's law could you be considered to be one of Abram's, Abraham's descendants. So you see this coming up over and over and over again in this book of Galatians, Paul keeps dealing with the question of who really is a true child of Abraham. In other words, who is fully accepted by God? In, in this passage that we have, he uses this form of argument that would have been used by the rabbis of that day. In other words, Paul uses an argument being advanced, being used by his own opponents and turns that argument on top of their heads and just says, surprise, you didn't see this coming, did you? In doing so, he shows us that the story of Abram's two sons has much meaning, a much greater meaning for us as well. 
What Paul shows us is that there are two ways for us to relate to God. He's been telling us about these two ways all the way through the book of Galatians. And for some of you, you're going, okay, maybe it's time for Paul to move on to some greater uh, theological argument because I got it. But Paul keeps on pushing in and he says, listen, here's the first way. One is Jesus plus nothing. And Paul is saying, that is what I'm advocating for. Jesus plus nothing. And the other way is Jesus plus something else. And Paul's saying, that's them. And so in this passage, he is telling us that these two ways can be understood through the story of Ishmael and Isaac. These two sons show two ways that we can relate to God. And what happens depends on what we choose. So one relies on the flesh. One relies on a promise. One relies on on the flesh. One relies on the promise. These two sons are the perfect examples of how we relate to God. Both are, have the same end in mind. Both want the blessings that God has promised, right? That's ultimately what party A and party B want. They both want God's, God's promise. One is to take, one takes matters into his own hands. Abraham decided that he would help God out by relying on his own efforts to accomplish God's purpose. And the result was absolutely devastating. Paul says that this is a good example of what happens when we rely on our own efforts to win the acceptance of God. It's really no different when Abraham took Hagar as his wife so that he could create for himself an heir. It wasn't that God, this was not what God had in mind at all. And it didn't accomplish the purpose that God intended. On the other hand, Isaac represented the other way to relate to God. To rely on what only God can do. To realize that we have nothing to offer God but inadequacy. And all that Abraham and Sarah had to do was offer up their old, dried up, infertile bodies that were far beyond their ability, their natural ability to produce any kind of life whatsoever, to offer up those bodies and to wait and to trust. It was impossible for them to do anything. There was nothing in them that was capable of producing life. And that's exactly the way that God designed it. Ishmael represented what we can do on our own and it is a mess. Isaac represented what God can do by his grace and it is amazing. The 
we also see that one, one way is slavery. And one way is freedom. Did you pick that up in the phrase, in the, how they phrased that all, all in there? You know, kind of referring to she was a slave woman and she was bearing, chi- bearing children for slavery. And the other one was a free woman and this child was born into freedom. So Paul is saying, listen, here, here's another way. To, another way to, uh, way of relating to God. Both Ishmael and Isaac had the exact same father. But Ishmael was born to a woman who was a, what? A slave. So he was born into slavery. And Paul says that is exactly what happens when we try to add to what Jesus has done through our efforts. We become slaves. We become children of Hagar. We, we were born still and we remain in slavery. We take things into our own hands, but what we ultimately produce is being enslaved because we are enslaved. We're enslaved to the law. We're enslaved to obedience. We're enslaved to activity. We're enslaved to this idea that we just have to keep on pleasing God, hoping, hoping that if I produce enough, do enough, behave enough, act good enough, do be a servant on enough committees, Attend enough services, services that ultimately what is going to happen? God is going to smile down on me and say, yes, that was enough. The irony is that of those who tried to earn God's approval through their own efforts, they remain in slavery and even go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into slavery itself. Because they quickly realized that wasn't enough. I've got to keep doing more. I've got to perfect my slavery even better. And they become even more like a slave. So no matter how hard you work, you're still going to be enslaved. No, you never know whether you've done enough. You're, you're always wondering if you've obeyed enough or whether you've repented enough. You're never quite sure if you've measured up to God's standards and God's expectations. You are enslaved. So whether you think that you need to earn your standing with God, whenever you th- start thinking that way, you've ended up enslaved just like Ishmael, you never taste the freedom that God intends. But that's not the way of Isaac, right? Isaac was born into freedom. He was the result of only what God could do. Paul is saying that when we rely on God's gracious and good gift of salvation through Jesus Christ alone, Through Christ alone, we are spiritually born into that same kind of freedom. There is no going back, and it is much better than Ishmael's situation. When we receive God's gracious gift of salvation, we receive a freedom that cannot be revoked, that cannot be taken away. It is yours in Christ. We can even see on top of it that there's, there's hostility between the two different ways. And this is important. What do we see here? 
Ishmael could not stand Isaac. There was hatred. There was hostility. He persecuted Isaac because he couldn't stand that Isaac had freedom when he himself didn't. Paul said that that's what's going on here, folks, here in the church. People are trying to earn God's approval through their own efforts and they can't stand. They cannot stand all this talk about grace. You should perform better. That's really where it's at. You grace people. Come on, really? You're relying on the grace of God? Work harder. And that's what was happening there in Galatia. And it even happens, my friends, today. Grace, beautiful, amazing, powerful grace, sounds absolutely outrageous. It is, it's bizarro. It's like another world. What? And grace has the capacity to even make people angry. It especially makes people angry who are adding something to Jesus. They can't stand people who rely on Christ alone and nothing else. But it goes both way, ways. Paul says that Ishmael has to be kicked out because Ishmael is not compatible with Isaac. Here's where it starts getting ugly. He's saying that this has to be dealt with in the church. Ishmael and Isaac are not compatible. You can't permit people to stay in the church who teach that you need Jesus plus something else. You can it's not compatible to have someone leading the church, teaching the church that you need Jesus plus something else. They need to be out. That is not acceptable. Did you pick that up in Galatians 4.30? But what does scripture say? Cast out the woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. You cannot have a church that teaches both. Ishmael and Isaac are incompatible with each other. You can't have a church that preaches and denies the gospel at the same time. It's either this or this. Grace and legalism are hostile towards each other. They're incompatible, my friends. They're like oil and water. And Paul is pulling out all the stops and he is telling us that there are two ways to relate to God. He's saying, listen, one is through your own efforts. But this makes a mess of things and it leaves us enslaved and hating grace. So you, if you're going to do that, just know that's, that's going to be the ultimate thing. 
If it's going to be Jesus plus something, your life is going to be a mess. You're going to live in constant anxiety because you're going to have to feel like you're constantly adding to and trying to please God, honor God, live enslaved to the laws that are put before you. But the other way is to realize that we don't do anything to contribute to what God has promised. There's nothing to offer God but our inability. Hear that. There is nothing that you can offer to God other than your infertile, dried up, hopeless body. Yourself. And God chooses to keep his promise to people like this by fulfilling his promise as a gracious gift. And this leads to freedom. And there's nothing like it. So let me give you three applications. The first is we have to realize what Paul, why Paul is saying this. It's the the realize why. What is really going on here? So there's a story that's been probably told numerous times about the great reformer Martin Luther. And in the church that he was pastoring, he preached the gospel to his congregation week after 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 week. It was nonstop preaching the gospel inside and out. And his people began to wonder, why does not Pastor Luther move on? Why doesn't he just move on to this, the next topic? Surely we get, we've gotten the gospel by now, Pastor. It is time to move on. When asked, why do you continue to preach about the gospel? He answered this way. Because every week you forget it. Friends, we we never move beyond the gospel because the the gospel is what saves us. So it's not just, the gospel is not just the beginning of the Christian life. It's the middle and it's the end as well. Or as Tim Keller, why don't you put that one? As Tim Keller says, the gospel is not just the ABCs but the A to Z of Christianity. It's the beginning, middle, and all the way to the end of Christianity. The gospel encompasses absolutely everything about your Christian life. That is why you will hear from me and whoever replaces me someday down the line when I kick the can and die, you will hear from that exact same minister the gospel inside and out every single Sunday. And if you get sick of it, we need to examine your heart. Because it is the gospel that you need every waking moment. 
That's why Paul keeps on circling back around and reminding us again of the gospel, why he gives us another picture of the gospel, because maybe you didn't get it one way. So I'm going to tell you again another way of how the gospel is lived out. Please, my friends, I want you to understand. Let me see. Who can I give you a picture of Abraham? I want to give you a picture of Abraham, but how Abraham did he, he attempted to add to the gospel by taking things into his own hands and look at the mess that it made. Oh, let me see a better picture of how the gospel really works is how Abraham by faith finally just waited and God in his dryness, in his inability, God gave him life. That's the gospel. And so Paul is saying, I want to give you every tool in my disposal to help you see the gospel. I want you to see its beauty as opposed to trying to add to your standing before God. All that we bring, my friends, is our inability. And he gives us everything that we need as a gift. Through Jesus Christ. So that's why Paul, Paul is saying, I've got to, I've got to keep on going around because you're going to forget. You're not going to fully understand. So I want to give you another dimension, another way, another facet of looking into this amazing gospel. And then here's a second point. We need to see the promise. Especially the promise that's found in, in verse 27. Paul is quoting from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter uh, 54. And he says, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those who have the one who has a husband. This is really kind of the upside down nature of the gospel. Those who are barren like Sarah, those who have nothing but need, receive all that God has promised. Sarah was barren. There was no way that she could produce the child that had been promised to her. But God, right? Those are the amazing phrases. But God. But God kept his promise. In Isaiah's time, Isaiah was prophesying that Israel would return from its barrenness, its dryness, and Israel would flourish again. And now Paul is writing to the Gentiles who had absolutely nothing to offer. And he is saying that it's just like God to give everything to those who have absolutely nothing. It's just like our God. You have nothing to bring and God gives you everything. That's how our God works. And, and Paul is saying, listen, if you come empty handed, that's the way you're supposed to come. And the reality is, if you, my friends, if you come empty-handed this morning with nothing to offer God but your need, then you are in good, a good position to receive the blessings of the gospel 
as found in Jesus Christ. If you wake up every morning, just say, okay, Lord, so here's what I got to offer your kingdom. I've got this, I got this, I got this. God's going to go, mm, you're missing it already. But if you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I come. I confess. I have nothing to offer you. And I just need you this morning. Would you help me? I'm in dire need of your help this morning. I got a great night of rest. Thanks be to God. But Lord, this morning as air is filling my lungs, I confess again, I need you. So here's the last thing. We do need to heed the warning. There's a warning that's found in Galatians 5 verse 1. Five verse one is one of those kind of coffee cup verses. But there's a warning in there, right? And that warning there in five verse one is the reason that Paul even wrote this epistle, this letter to the church in Galatia. For freedom, Christ has set you free. And we all go, amen. Right? For it is freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore. Stand firm, therefore. And do not submit again to this yoke of slavery. There's our warning. Don't go back to Egypt land because Pharaoh is waiting for you. He's waiting to take you back into the slavery. In fact, he was chasing you down, right? He was chasing you down. Man, I need to, I let them go. I need to bring them back. Remember, Pharaoh drowned in the Red Sea. Let him stay there. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't try to earn your acceptance with God through effort and slavery. Embrace, my friends, embrace our freedom that we have in Christ through the gospel and never look back. So we're not saved by what we're, we're, we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by relying on what only God can do. Anything else is slavery. And my friends, this is a word from the Lord. Let's pray.